All right, good morning. So I'm continuing our series on the 20 questions. So today is what is creation? Um, I kind of have a routine when I'm preparing a class, whether it's at work or here. Uh, you know, I do some, I let it just sit in my brain. Like I read the content and then I don't do any work on it and I just let it sit there for a while. And then hopefully there's some like lightning strike moment and it starts to come together in my head. Uh, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And then when I'm still struggling, I go to bed because that's always good when you're supposed to do something is to just go to sleep. And I go to sleep thinking about it and I hope that I have a good idea while I'm asleep, like I dream it. Like it happened once in high school when I was panicked about a speech I had to give the next day and I fell asleep and I had a dream where I gave the speech and I woke up remembering it, which almost never happens. So then I like wrote it down and then I went to school the next day and I gave the speech and it was fantastic in my opinion. Uh, and so then after that it was like, well from now on I have to go to sleep thinking about whatever it is and that's how I'll decide what I'm gonna do. So two nights ago I was going to sleep thinking about what is creation, trying to decide what to do and the 21st century got in the way because I couldn't sleep and so my phone was right there so I'm just kind of scrolling through social media on my phone trying to fall asleep which is like the opposite of how it works, right? Like once I pick up the phone I'm not going to get sleepy, I'm just gonna keep scrolling and when I get sick of Twitter I'm gonna switch to Facebook and scroll and then when I get sick of that one I'll go some right and so anyway so I was scrolling through Facebook and there was this video on Facebook of a man who builds a guitar out of pencils. It's amazing. You should look it up. So he takes like a, I don't know how many pencils it was. It had to be like a couple hundred pencils and he's got, and he puts them all in this box and he glues them and it's a really long Facebook video. Like I want to say it's three and a half minutes and it's all time lapse. Like it probably took him days. Uh, but I usually don't have that long of an attention span. Like I'm 10 seconds on a video and then I'm scrolling on, but I stayed there for three minutes watching this thing. Watched an ad for a Ford Explorer that came up in the middle because I stayed there too long, which never happens to me. I was like, what is this? Uh, and I watched it from beginning to end and when it was done, super cool. Really want a pencil guitar now, even though I really don't know how to play a guitar, um, but it looks really cool. And then I fell asleep and I thought, wow, I wish that was more productive and fell asleep. Woke up the next morning, I was like, man, I didn't have any great ideas. This is terrible. And then I was thinking about it, I was like, well, no, duh, I had an idea. I just watched someone create something out of nothing and thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I'm sitting here thinking about creation. And as humans, we have this thing, or at least I do, and hopefully the rest of you do, where we love to watch things get built. Like, just start from nothing and slowly come together. It's cool to watch the process and see how it all fits together. I know my girls are this way. I don't know if Ashley this is, is this way, so you may disagree with all this, but I know the girls like to do the same thing. So on our drive to church, we come up Walnut Grove, and I don't know, maybe it was a year ago, they started building a house on the side of the, um, uh, the part of Walnut Grove where it gets weavy, uh, and it's yellow, it's still there. My girls love this house. They watched it get built from the beginning. And every time we went by, they'd say, look at the house! And then they painted it. And so then they know it's the yellow house. So literally every Sunday or Wednesday when we drive to church, as we're going through the weavy part of Walnut Grove, my girls will yell, yellow house! And then we go on. And then when we come back, they say, bye yellow house! And we drive home. I mean, the house has been done for months. And they still point it out every time to the point that if we don't see it, they will cry about it. 
And nobody wants crying children either on the way home, a long drive home from church, or right before you drop them off with their teachers. So now I have to make sure as we get close to the yellow house that they're aware that we're getting close. Hey, we're getting close to the yellow house. <gasps> there it is! But there's something about watching things come together from the bottom, right? that's cool, something that draws our interest. And I think it's this similarity that we have with our creator. Okay, one of the main points that the book, so the book that we're going along with this, it's a great little book. Uh, one of the main points to make is that we're made in God's image and that God takes joy and delights in what we create. And I think that goes both ways, that we take joy in what he creates. We have this appreciation for creation and what is made. Um, so kind of basics. Uh, the world comes out of nothingness, right? Genesis 1, the world is dark and void. God's there, but that's it. And then God speaks it into existence, right? So first we've got nothing, and slowly the whole world comes together around it. Not like poof, Shazam style, right? Like in levels, right? Day one, day two. My girls sing the song, Juliet's got the days all backwards, but they're all there. Uh, but he builds it slowly. And then it says in Genesis 1:27 uh, that God makes man in his image. So when we think about what it means to be made in God's image, what kind of things do we think of? What do you think of when you think of being made in God's image? What does that trigger in your head? And that's an easy question, right? You don't have to be right. You just have to have a guess. Like, if you were going to explain that, how about this? If you were going to explain that to one of your kids, what would you say it means? Well, there's a few ways to interpret it, but people have interpreted it differently. It could mean that we physically resemble him, but I don't exactly think of it that way. Yeah. Uh, it could mean that we have a certain, like, purpose that he's given us, you know, that the way in which we're supposed to live, that it would most glorify him if we do it in that certain way. Or it could mean that we share attributes with him. So I, I, I usually take that kind of approach, that we're, we have pieces of God's character that are natural to us and that yeah. we're meant to feel. Yeah, as I thought about it, I thought that's what I would say. Like, I think what I would tell Claire or Juliet would be, it means that you're like God, right? Like when you look in a mirror and you're like what you see in the mirror, Right? Maybe for them initially it's going to be like, I look like God. And that may not be a terrible place to start for a kid, right? But, but I think there's parts of us that reflect his will and his desires, right? When, when siphoned correctly, right? So this idea that out of nothingness creation is formed. Creation is everything, right? So in one sense the answer to the question is what is creation? Well, creation's everything. That's easy. So we're done. Uh, but it's this idea that I think our most basic understanding of creation is always it's the trees and the rocks and the sky and you know I go out to a national park to be in God's creation but the most important part of the whole creation is humanity and us because we are what most closely resembles God whether that's physical or, or um, emotional or mental or whatever we are the closest to him so in many ways we are the the most important part of it so on the one hand what is creation that's easy where does it come from is something that I feel like we've had a lot of classes about, so I kind of dodged around that, and I don't want to do that with all the science people in the room, because um, that's not me. But the idea, right, that science can support this idea of creation, right? The book has this great phrase where it says, I wrote it down, scripture and science will not be in conflict. And this idea that if they're being done correctly, science supports God's word, right? It's not going to be like they're 
two negatives that like they can work together because if not someone's wrong and it's probably not the bible they gave us a great example though of uh galileo right so or italian guy so galileo says uh no uh, contrary to what everyone thinks the earth is not the center of the universe the sun is the center of our solar system or the universe and the earth rotates around the sun so he had done all of his science on tides which is actually the moon uh and the sun rising sun setting all that stuff and made the determination that it was actually the earth that was moving but the church got really upset about this because the church has spent a lot of time studying obviously and they said well there's quite a few verses in the psalms where it describes the earth being fixed so if the earth is fixed in the heavens, then it can't be rotating. The Bible can't be wrong. Therefore, Galileo is a heretic and needs to be imprisoned. He spends life under house arrest after that. Uh, although it's a pretty, pretty sweet deal uh, from what I read. Um, but anyway, so this idea that, well, maybe when the Bible says the earth is fixed, it is fixed in the heavens, right? It's not, it's not falling into what it would fall, I don't know. But it's not falling, right? It, it is in its place where God said it. It does what it's supposed to do as he created it. So on the one hand, yeah, the Bible and science can appear to be in conflict, right? But we have to trust that at the end it's going to make sense that if we understand what God wants us to and we understand the world around us, they'll go together because God made the world around us, if that makes sense. Uh, but what I was more interested in out of this section uh, was not where the world came from because I felt like we talked about that and we kind of have understood that, but the idea of why like if god exists before creation why does he choose to do creation i mean i feel like that's a pretty good question um and the book's got a few ideas on that and i've got some too um so the other day uh at the house so we live in an older house um trey used to live there um I, mean, I assume that's where most of the problems come from. No. <laughs> Problem with an older house, right, is there's all wonky things in it, right? Nothing is standard sized. Things break all the time. Uh, and so I get to learn how to be a, a fix-it person, right? Uh, and so here lately, I've been very, very busy at work. April, May is real hectic time in schools. Uh, and so I've been falling down on the job on my honey-do list, which is never good um, because that was not a jab, Mars. Don't, don't, pull, don't pull her into this. Uh, because if I've got one thing that I haven't done that I've been waiting to do, it's okay. Because when, when Ashley will say, have you done, when are you going to do this? I can be like, oh, I'm working on it, I'm just real busy. But the more things I do that to, the worse it starts to look, right? So then it's like, and, and then when she asks about one thing, it will trigger the other thing in her memory. So like the more I've done that to, it all starts to build up. So it's like, hey, when are you going to fix the kitchen faucet? And in fairness, that was a really need to fix right away thing. Like, oh, I'm going to get to it after this weekend. And what about that closet door that doesn't close? I'm going to get to that this weekend. And what about, it's like, okay, I got it. I need to have a fix-it day. So the other day, Ashley was at work, and I picked up the girls from school. So I'm thinking, all right, I've got four hours before she's going to leave Lavonner. So really, I've got five hours to work. So I'm going to pick up the girls. We're going to go to Home Depot. We're going to get all the supplies we need. And we are going to fix up the whole house before Ashley gets back. So I grab the girls, we go to Home Depot, which is of course a nightmare in and of itself to take two little people into Home Depot and get a door, by the way, because I had to get a new door. Um, and I take them home, and first thing I do is I go to the faucet and fail magnificently. Uh, it still did not work at the end of my two hours of working on the faucet. And I said, you know what? If I don't give up on this faucet, I'm not gonna have fixed anything by the time Ashley gets home. So I left the faucet, all my tools are over the counter, and I go in and I start working in the bathroom. There's a bathroom closet, it's a real narrow door, and it doesn't close. So I'm replacing the door, 
Uh, and I've got it. The reason it doesn't close, though, and this is embarrassing, is that it's my fault that it doesn't close because it's already a new door on the closet that I put on that doesn't close, which says something about my door skills. So uh, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I think the only way I can fix this door is to just get a new one. I'm just going to give up on this one. I've messed this one up enough trying to make it fit. So I took that door off, took the new door, and I'm outside and I'm measuring and drawing and cutting. And of course, it's an old house, so nothing standard size, right? So I do a slab door, so I'm drilling the holes in it and trying to place the hinges. Uh, and as I'm working, you know, very intelligently, um, realize that when you work on something for an extended period of time as a parent, it's always dangerous because no one else know, no one knows what's going on in the rest of the house. Um, and I'm outside actually, and the kids are inside. Sorry about that. Um, and <laughs> and I'm thinking I'll be back inside within a second. And then I hear, of course, the scream because it's bound to happen, right? Anytime you leave and work on something for too long, there's going to be a scream. So and I'm listening to the scream, deciding whether or not it's one that requires my immediate attention or if I can finish what I'm working on and then go check on the screen, right? Is it one of the fake screams or is this legitimate? I decide that it's fake and continue working. Uh, it was a correct assessment, by the way, if you're worried about where this story is going. So uh, I continue working on the door and eventually Claire comes outside and Claire is our honest truth-telling child. And she comes out, Dad, I'm really sorry you have to hear this. Like, oh great. Juliet is just disobeying. And I was like, really, what's she doing? She's just not following any of my rules. I'm so sorry, Claire. I'm gonna keep working on this. I need you to come talk to her because she keeps taking my stuff. And then if I try to take it back, she says she's gonna bite me. Like, I'm really sorry, Claire, but I need you to go figure this out on your own. I'm gonna work on this door for mom so we can surprise mom. Don't you wanna surprise mom? <sighs> okay it's just it's gonna be hard she's not gonna like it it's okay so uh, claire goes back inside to deal with juliet and i go back to working on the door then go back into the kitchen into the bathroom put the door on it doesn't close that's great uh comparing the old door thinking what did i do differently that i should have done and i've got these two doors in the bathroom i'm working on it and i hear another scream you know how that is so i wait and i keep working on what i'm working on and then eventually claire comes back dad I know you don't want to hear this, but Juliet's still just disobeying and she's being really mean. I was like, all right, just tell your sister to come see me. So then uh, Juliet comes in and she's all like, hey, daddy, what's up? Big smile, big, big being sweet. I'm like, hey, I hear you're being mean to your sister. I need you to stop that. And she says, I'm not being mean. I'm not being mean at all. And I was like, well, then why would Claire say you took her toys? They're, re they're really my toys, dad. I didn't do it. I, I always obey. Which is a lie if you know Juliet. She's our rule breaker, or at least rule stretcher. Anyway, I'm tagging too long on this story. To summarize, I still didn't fix the door. Had to go back to the original door, which I was able to make fix. Talk to me about it later if you're curious about what I did. Uh, but the house was insane. The house was chaos. And believe it or not, this is all relevant to creation. I'm not just telling a story. It's a good story, though. Um, and here's the thing. The two points that the book makes, and I think that they're both relevant in that story, which is why it popped in my head, is that number one, uh, creation is distinct but dependent, okay? God creates everything, right? He brings it into life, and it relies upon him to have begun and to exist, right? Without God, creation cannot have come into existence. Without God, it can't continue. Without God creating the systems and making it all happen, right? If ever God were not there, we probably would not be here. <coughs> Okay? Uh, and it's the same thing I like to think of with my 
kids. They are distinct, uh, but dependent also, right? I have sometimes imagined in my head, because I'm kind of scary, I guess, what would happen if I weren't, didn't make it home on time? Or like, what if happened if I like bumped my head and got knocked unconscious, what would my kids do? Like, I envision Claire like sitting on the ground, like crying the whole time and not knowing what to do. And Juliet like going off on her own and going to the neighbor's house and getting supplies, like, I don't know. But so this idea that, for us, the cl one of the closest ways we can feel the same connection to creation that God feels to us and to the world is through kids, okay? And so when I look at my kids and I say that they are definitely dependent upon me, there is no way they will survive in this world without me, especially not Claire, not yet, right? Eventually, maybe I'll send them off, but they're still going to be dependent on me. I still call my dad up all the time with questions, right? And if I didn't have my dad, I would call up an uncle or something like that, right? So we have that dependency but there's still some uh, separation, some distinctness, right? No matter the similarities between us and our kids, there's no one, they're not the same, right? There's differences between them. I mean, I've got one kid who's exactly like my wife and breaks all the rules, uh, and one who's a rule follower. Um, but there's always differences. And the same is true of the creation uh, that God created. Um, if you look, and this is fascinating, if you look in the story of Job, okay, which is a really ironic place to go when you're talking about creation, okay, and talking about creation being um, distinct but dependent, right? The story of Job, a man who suffers more than anyone else, right, immensely. Uh, in God's creation, he's suffering, which brings up this whole question of suffering that we talked about on Sunday morning not long ago, uh, and the idea that Job, of all people, has the vision to see this. So this is in uh, Job 12. I'm going to read a quick verse or two real quick. Uh, Job 12... Uh, Job 12, verse 10, uh, and he's describing the world to rebut what his friends are saying. His friends are trying to get him to go back on God and, and curse God so that all this will stop. And Job says, uh, in his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind, right? Job, the guy who's suffering everything, knows that in the moment God controls everything, right? It's not God created this and then let it go, right? God is in the breath of every creature and in the action of all mankind. Like, he's present. Okay, so I think that's the first idea is that even though God created the world, it's not a creator who, like, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson loved to say, built a clock and then let it run and walked away, right? God is still present in every action within creation, which creates problems for us as Christians. When we see bad things in the news, right? When we see creation gone corrupt, whether that's us or other people, right? God is in all of this creation that we're watching get destroyed sometimes. So that can create issues for us, which I'm sure uh, some of these later chapters look at. Um, so that's the one thing. But at the same time, right, at the same time, there is some distinctness about creation, right? Um, God may be present in all, but we still have that option to make our own decisions, right? Because that's the whole point of the creation, of us being made as we are. And the same thing is true, if we're going back to an example, the same thing is true with kids, right? Uh, I've got rules. They don't get followed very often, but I've got rules, right? And I don't think, I still don't think I would choose for my kids to automatically follow them. Sometimes I think that when I'm really stressed out, but I wouldn't want them to just robotically follow them, right? I want them to choose to do the right thing. And the same thing is true with God's relationship with us, right? what would have been the point of creating a bunch of creations that were just like robots and did everything on their own, right? Um, there's no beauty in that creation. Which brings us to the second part. The second part they point to that's key about uh, the purpose of creation. It's distinct but dependent, right? It's part of God, but allows us to also 
connect with God, right? And that's kind of unique, that part of, but not completely all of, connection. But the second part is that creation is glory-giving, okay? Um, and here we get to talk about the door, which I'm really proud of. If you'd like to see pictures, I've got some. Um, because as soon as I finally fixed, finished fixing this door, as embarrassing as a process as it was for me to now relay and realize how impossible it was, uh, I cannot tell you how many times I have opened and closed that door in the last 48 hours. And I keep nothing of my own in that closet. But I'm still like, does it still work? Right? And then when Ashley got home, I, part of me wanted to be like, I'm just going to not say anything. I'm going to see how long it takes her to notice the closet. And I'd be like, yeah, aren't you proud? But then I was like, no, that won't work. She'll never notice it. So instead, like, hey, let's go open the closet, girls. Let's close it again, right? When we create something, whether it's a really stupid closet door or something bigger, right? We have that pride and sense of accomplishment in it, and we want everyone to see it, or we want to at least see it for ourselves and see how it all functions, whether that's something you do at work or something uh, you fix at your house. Like, there's that moment where you're just really proud of it, right? even if it's something as silly as a door. And I think God has that same feeling for his creation, right? That same feeling of, wow, this is good. He says so in Genesis 1, right? When he's building, he says, and it was good, like over and over again. So like after each day, he restates that just so you know, yeah, this is good. Because there's something about marveling in cre at your creation, which is valuable and good, right? Pride is bad, but this is good, right? Create, looking at the creation saying, this is good. This is something that can serve its purpose, right? And God feels that towards us and towards all of the world that he's made, not just the humans, right? Look at it and says, this is something that is good and can serve its purpose. And through its creation, it can give glory to its creator and say, wow, this really shows how powerful God is, how great this is. Just as my door shows what a great door craftsman I am, as you all know now. Um, but especially if you think about the complexity and the design involved in our universe and the glory of God that that suggests, the wisdom and the power, right? Um, I'm not a medical guy. I'm married to a nurse. I have friends who are doctors. They love to talk about medical stuff and how impressive it is. I generally don't follow most of what they're saying. I smile and I nod. But each of us in our line of work, whatever it is, could explain some really complicated concept in our field and how that shows God's magnificence, right? I feel like science is the go-to, like how your heart would never work if it were, this small change was made to it or whatever. Um, but I feel like we can all do that, like take that moment and say, man, the complexity is immense. And that suggests something about the creator and the fact that he didn't have to use a second door and screw up on that one too, right? Like we're the first creation. It all worked out the first time from the get-go, no backtracking or any of that stuff. Um, real quickly, somewhere, uh, think about the environment, right? Like the world around us. Where's somewhere you've been where you've just looked at it and you've been like, wow, God is good. Yellowstone. Yellowstone. I still haven't been, so I'll just nod and say, I'll bet that's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's on my list. We went out west over spring break and saw the Grand Canyon and some places like that, and it was really cool. Like, I was like, wow, this is just something else. Like, I think we can have those moments where we, like, see something outside, like, uh, you know, if you take your kids camping or if you just go hike somewhere, or you just get out of the city and you see it, and you're like, this is so special. And then I thought, 
Yeah, those are the times that I marvel at creation and think, man, God made something awesome here. I usually don't think that, but probably should when I see people, you know? Like, so uh, this past week we did a, at school, we did a foot washing ceremony. We wash all the seniors' feet and you sign up for seniors that you have a connection with. And I always wait till the end because selfishly I feel like I know most of the seniors and I could wash most any of their feet and not everyone has that. So I kind of wait. And at the end I ended up with uh, this one student who I have a pretty good relationship with, but I know that he's not a religious guy at all. He's, I knew it was going to be incredibly awkward to wash his feet, which is fine. Um, but. <laughs> It was really cool because as I was washing his feet, like after you wash his feet, you're supposed to like pray a blessing over them or say something to them or whatever. Uh, and so I gave him a hug and I was whispering in his ear and I was telling him, you know, what I felt about him and how much growth I had seen and all that stuff. And dude, I started to cry and I cry a lot. I'm a weepy person, but it was a bit much. And I thought about it afterwards. I was like, that is what I think we really need to think about when we think about marveling at God's creation, like looking at someone and the way that they have become more to emulate God, even though in his case, he doesn't even know it. Like he's not intentionally mirroring God, but by being surrounded by Christ-like people and thinking about what he would consider just morality, you know, he started to look that way. And when we look at, you know, a kid who starts to grow up and starts to make wise decisions and look out for their friends, or we even look at adults, right? And be like, man, that person is so good right? And I feel like my automatic response is you just think that they like have really good self-control or they're really thoughtful or considerate. But like that's the moment that I think God is probably looking down at his creation going, man, that is good. That complexity, that beauty speaks more to our creator than like a gorgeous sunset. Though a gorgeous sunset says great things, right? But the idea that his creation, when it acts as he would want us to act, right, loving, compassionate, and care, that's when we really see the creation coming through. Because the central aspect of all of this is this idea that as cre in creation, we are made in God's image. So we are, not to be braggy, but a very important part of creation, right? So when we look at the way that God has gifted us, that tells us a lot. Um, if, let me see. We're almost out of time. Okay, Psalms uh, 19 uh, has a great little example here. Um, I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but it, it opens up. You've probably heard it before. Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Uh, they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. If that's what God can do with his creation that doesn't talk, that is not made in his image, what can God do with his creation that can and should? And I think if we look at the Bible just as a whole, we find examples of people that have, right? We could, you know, VBS characters we could name off who do really good and, like, set strong examples. Uh, but if we say, okay, what about today? Where, uh, where in the world today, how are we serving as creation? And how do we reflect on our creator? Is it one of those moments where God uh, looks down at us and what we're doing and he's got that sense of just like pride bubbling up where he wants to just show it off to everyone and be like, man, look at this. This is so good. Or is it the other one? I think more often than not, it's probably the latter, right? Because we're flawed, right? We look at Genesis 3, right? We've fallen, we've sinned. We're a broken people until we're reunited with God in heaven. Um, but this idea that that creation, even though it can cut both ways, and, I'm, and I can imagine 
but not really get, understand. But I can imagine the hurt, right, when you see it, when God sees a human make a mistake, in the same way that I see my kid make a mistake uh, repeatedly, uh, and we talk about it. Like I can imagine kind of a fraction of that. But this idea that as creation, we are the primary speaker for God. Okay, so if everything we've looked at in the previous weeks about who is God and what is, what is he like, we can make that connection with us and okay, but if we are the primary representative of that because we are his creation, we are the thing that everyone will judge God against. Um, if you go to buy something and you look at a consumer report on it, you know, if a company has a consistently strong report, you're more likely to trust them. If Christians had a consistently strong reputation for being good people, people would be more likely to examine God and see what they're missing out on. So as his creation, we bear that responsibility. It's not the responsibility of this large world idea or of culture, right? It's our responsibility as creation to, ex to do that. So uh, that's all I have. You got a few minutes? All right, perfect. Yeah. Thanks, guys.